This is Dr. Kathy Williams with a new podcast and fresh stories about being a prison chaplain. I find that the things that we can laugh at are the things that we can learn from. Listen, I want to tell you some stories today about um, a federal law called PRIA. The acronym is PRIA, which stands for Prison Rape Elimination Act. Very serious law and very necessary law in the correctional system. It encompasses everything from um, um, someone feeling like they're being stared at that makes them uncomfortable to touching to suggesting to it includes inmate to inmate inmate to staff staff to inmate all volunteers to inmate volunteer in it just a, a very broad scope now it's a serious law and a necessary law but the story i want to tell you has some humor to it uh, in the facility where I worked, and in most facilities, there is an inmate barber shop, and it is run by other inmates who serve as the barbers. Uh, in addition to that barber shop, uh, which I frequented to get my hair trimmed and get my eyebrows done, and um, um, sometimes to get a facial massage, there were a couple other things they would do. Um, but they also had, they literally took a closet and made it into a one-chair staff barbershop that could operate after hours from the main barbershop. So one afternoon, I needed my hair trimmed because I was doing something, um, some public speaking engagement or something where I just needed to really look right and get my eyebrows finished and my hair trimmed. So I went in to the staff barbershop um, during a time of the day called count. Count happens in every prison multiple times a day where literally they're just counting the people to make sure that no one has escaped. A few people don't have to go to their housing unit to be counted. They can stay in their work area, but that is called an out count. And then someone has to be specifically responsible for that individual and report their presence. And so the checkpoint officer had wanted to take a break and asked me if I would supervise the staff barber during count. I said, sure, yeah, because I'm wanting to get my eyebrows done and get my hair trimmed. So I go in, and so the young man um, that was barbering was behind me in the chair, and so I had tipped my head back. Now keep in mind, I'm, I definitely classify as elderly. I'm in my mid-60s, and so I had tipped my head back, and so I was kind of bracing on my neck while he worked on my eyebrows, and he, he had started to do one, and then I said, can I admit to you that this isn't very comfortable? And he said, oh, chaplain, don't worry about it. I got a headrest for you. Let me put the headrest in. Now, to do my eyebrows meant that I didn't have my glasses on. I had taken my glasses off, which blurs everything for me. And so, um, again, a very cramped space. The young man, he was behind me. So he had leaned down to get the headrest. But I couldn't really see him, and then I wasn't facing him anyway. My back was to him sitting in the chair. 
All I know is that I felt something firm behind me, and I thought it was the headrest. And I literally leaned my head back on this hard object that I thought was the headrest before it dawned on me, and I turned my head slightly, that I was leaning on him. And I said, oh, 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 I am so sorry. I apologize. I am so sorry. I said, that is so embarrassing. And he laughed. He said, Chaplain Williams, don't worry about it. It's fine. He said, let me get the headrest. Because what I had done is he had bent over to get the headrest. And on his way back up, it was his shoulder that was behind me that I thought was the headrest. And I had literally laid my head on this man's shoulder. And so we went on and we laughed about it. And he trimmed my hair and he finished my eyebrows. Well, let me tell you something else about working in a prison. Everything is supposed to be documented. Everything should be in writing. And so when I got home that night, I thought, gee, I bet I should have done an incident report on that. Because, you know, just what if? You always have to ask yourself, what if? What if he decided to tell some crazy story about me? What if? And and even though there were cameras in the hallway, there's no camera directly into the barbershop, so I had no way of saying that I didn't do something. And I thought, man, I should have done an incident report. So fast forward, the next day, I'm going into work. Who's standing there while I'm pulling my keys but my supervisor and one of the assistant wardens. And I said to them, oh, I think I should have done an incident report last night. And they said, what happened? They were immediately concerned like something had happened to me. I said, no, it's something I did. And they said, Chaplain, what did you do? I said, I think it's Priya. And they said, oh my goodness, what did you do? And so I told them the whole situation. And I said, I laid my head on his shoulder. I didn't know it was his shoulder. I thought it was the headrest. Well, they laughed at me. And they said, Chaplain, go to work. Well, hold on. I thought about it a second. I said, well, hold on. Hold on. What you trying to say? I can't catch a Priya? I can't be sexy? What? what oh, hold up. Oh, hold on. You know it's bad, people. You know it's bad when you're trying to turn yourself in for something sexy and administration just tells you, go on to work, girl. Get out. Go on to work. Oh, help, Lord. Help, Lord. Yes, I confess, and I know on a podcast you can't see me, but trust me, all my sexy is gone. It's over with. It's finished. Oh, well, that takes us into the next story. Some years ago, I was supervising um, a play practice in the chapel in the main auditorium area. And I had my stage crew there, too. And there was one gentleman on the stage crew that was... So I'm tall, sort of tall for a woman. I'm like five, seven and three quarters, five, eight. And so this guy, I would guess, was maybe five, three, five, four. And um, uh, so he's working on the stage props. And this other guy comes over to me and he says, Chap, I need to talk to you. And I said, yeah, sure, go ahead. He sa- and so he named the other guy. He said, he said uh, I really think he's suicidal. He said he's struggling. And he said he just said some things to me that just, I don't know. I'd rather talk to, have somebody talk to him than to just overlook it and something happened. I said, no, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. 
So I watched the other guy, and then I said, hey, so-and-so, come here for a second. Let me see how you're doing. He comes over. He said, hey, chap, how are you? I said, I'm good. How are you doing? He said, well, I'm all right. He said, but I did want to talk to you about something. I said, yeah, sure. Have a seat. Talk to me. So if you can picture this, I'm sitting in a chair, and he sits down in the chair to my right. He sits beside me to my right. That's going to be relevant in just a minute. So he says to me, chap, I need to go back to my housing unit a little bit. There's something I have to do. And I said, what do you have to do? I thought you were up here all evening to work on props. He said, no, chap, no, I can't stay. I just got a lot of stuff on my mind, and there's something I'm going to have to go do. And I said, help me understand. What does that mean exactly? I mean, what are we talking about? What are you going to do? And he said, chap, I, I, I just I can't. He said, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep doing this. And I said, look. Uh, I, and so I said, I need you to look me in the eye and tell me that you're all right or not. Because if you're not, then we're here to help you. We need to do something to help. He said, chap, I, I, I don't know. I just can't do this. I can't keep this up. I can't keep doing this. So I talked to him for a little bit, and and I listened to him, and then and I shared some things with him, but I listened to him. And then I got him to the place where I could say, okay, here's what I need you to do for me. I need you to tell me. I need you to say to me, Chaplain Williams, I am not going to do anything to harm myself today. So he started crying, and, and he said it, but he said it. And I said, I, I would like it if you'd stay up here, because I think it'll bless you to just be around some people, okay? If you don't feel like working, that's okay. Just pull up a chair, and uh, you can just sit and watch the practice with me, but, you know, stay up here. He said, okay, Chaplain Williams, I'm going to stay. I said, do you feel better? He said, I do, I do. He said, I do, I, I, it's going to be okay. He said, but I'm going to stay. But he said, Chaplain, thank you for everything. Well, a natural courteous gesture is, so th think about it again. I'm sitting down. He's sitting in a chair to my right. The height difference. I reached out my right hand to shake his hand. But instead of him shaking my hand, he was so overwhelmed with emotion. To this day, I know the brother did not know what he did. He not only took my right hand, he took it and then rolled himself into me, intending to like give me a quick hug, which is a no-no in a prison. That's a no-no. Inmates and staff do not hug. But nevertheless... So he kind of rolls himself into me. Well, that put the top of his head right smack in between my breasts. My face, I know my face was like, what? But I was calm because here he was in such an emotional state. He never even realized what he had done. And he did it so quickly. It isn't like he'd stayed there. He like rolled into me, you know, huh, rolled back. He said, and I said, Lord Jesus, Lord, have mercy, Lord, help me. What do I, I have to admit, I didn't do an instant report on that one either. Because you know what, that brother, that would have caused so much chaos in that brother's life. And you have to have a certain level of judgment with people when you work in a prison. And especially, I've always said the chapel is the heart of the prison. Chaplains get to be what nobody else on the staff can be now. With that being said, you better have some maturity about yourself. 
And you better have some effective boundaries about yourself. And you better have some excellent professionalism about yourself. Because yes, indeed, the chapel can be the weakest area of a prison. But you cannot let a chapel be emotionally driven or mood driven. The thing in a prison, firm, fair, consistent. And so here again, I weighed the situation quickly. I knew the brother didn't intend any harm. I, to this day, I don't believe he even realized what he had done. And uh, it kept him from being suicidal that night. So all was well. Amen. Now, one more quick story. And then we'll wrap up this podcast until we get to another one. I was taking a trip with one of my goddaughters and her goddaughter. So we had three generations in the car. We pull off, we get on the hype, just started this trip, just started this trip. And my children, my spiritual children, my godchildren call me Mama K. And then their kids call me some of Granny K or Mama K, because Kathy's my first name. And so I've got a mass of Mama K kids in my life. And so we just pulled away, and, and the kiddo in the back says, Mama K, I have a question for you. I said, yeah, sure. She said, you like ever find the men in the prison attractive? And I said, no. And she said, oh, come on, Mama K, you could tell us. And I said, no. What? I mean, what? She said, Mama K, come on now. You don't see any good-looking men in that prison? I said, well, of course you see. I mean, you see that men are handsome, or you see that they're ugly, or you see that they're tall, or they're short, or that their hair is nice, or their hair crazy, whatever. I mean, you just see things about people. But I said, of course I've seen handsome men in the prison. But uh, she said, so you've never met a man that you liked? I said, no, absolutely not. You have to keep good boundaries. And I said, because here's the thing. I don't care what a man's crime is. One thing he has in common with every other man that's in prison is they lacked boundaries. Whether you stole a car or didn't pay your child support or you were driving drunk or you molested or raped somebody, everything is connected to boundary issues. So if the staff have boundary issues, then we're supposed to be part of healthy role modeling and reentry minded. Then we're telling these guys nobody has healthy boundaries. So I said, no, uh-uh, that's a thing I'm a zero tolerance person about. And uh, I said, no, uh-uh. I said, now, have I met men that I recognize? Had I met them under circum- other circumstances, we may have been... Um, colleagues or friends or neighbors. Yes, of course I see that. But I said, that's, that's, uh, no, that's not ever been an issue for me, nor do I intend for it to be an issue. And then it just occurred to me, I said, what in the world made you ask me that? She said, oh, we was watching this Lifetime movie about this woman that worked in a prison. I said, oh, Lord, help us, help us, help us, help us for the Lifetime movies. However, I followed the conversation up with this insight. And I said, you know what? I thank you for asking me that question because the truth of the matter is, I think that every person that works in a prison needs somebody in their life that that will ask that question and that if they had to say yes, they could say yes too for purposes of accountability and rebalancing themselves. So I said, you know what? Thank you for asking that question. Now, if you have any questions for me that you would like me to answer on a podcast about uh, various experiences 
of working in a correctional facility, certainly feel free to email me. My email address address is L as in lion, K, then spell out the number one, O-N-E, then put the numbers 49 and then my initials kw at yahoo.com or gmail.com. And let me share a little insight with you. My email address is my favorite scripture, Luke 149, he that is mighty has done to me great things and holy is his name. God bless you. Until next time.